All right, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, this, is a, this is extremely hard to pick out the highlights for the public life of Jesus. Granted, we're going to do two lectures. This is part one. The next lecture will be part two. But there's just so much to talk about. So I'm going to just cover the tip of the iceberg, really. Just some highlights, a 30,000-foot view that's going to be um, looking at the main points of his public ministry. And even there, I inevitably am going to be skipping over a different different elements, different aspects, uh, events of his life. What I'd like to do for this lecture is look at his his actions and deeds, because Jesus proclaims the kingdom in words and deeds. So this lecture will be the, the deeds, the actions, the miracles of our Lord. And then the next lecture will focus a lot of his words and his teachings. And that's just kind of be the method of the madness for this little introduction to the public life of Jesus. Now let's begin in less, uh, chapter 3. Matthew, we're going to of course, there are four Gospels, and we'll look at a little bit of Matthew, a little bit of Luke, a little bit of John. We're going to hop around a little bit. But we're going to look first at his baptism, and we'll look at the account in Matthew. Let me just read for you a few of these verses. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then, <laughs> sounds sounds yummy. <laughs> then he went out to him, Jerusalem and Judea and the region of all the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. All right, this is the introduction to John the Baptist. It's not so much an introduction for us, because a couple lectures back, when we looked at the Annunciation of the Archangel Gabriel to Zechariah, we talked a lot about the role of John the Baptist. So we're just going to kind of touch upon this really, really quickly here. So the first thing, the first words out of his mouth is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's really important. And that's really going to be kind of the underlining theme of this whole lecture. And the next lecture is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which really is the kingdom of David. As we talked about many, many lectures ago in uh, the covenant that God made with, with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But the first word repent in order to here understand to see the kingdom of heaven that has come in our midst in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven we must repent and later we're going to see jesus picks the picks up that that his ministry on that very note as well it says the same thing repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and we'll talk about that just shortly here um so john the baptist comes into the scene and matthew quotes isaiah chapter 40 saying that i that john the baptist fulfills the prophecy of isaiah now, don't forget, John the Baptist concludes the whole cycle of prophets, we call it. It begins with Elijah, it ends here with John the Baptist, and all the prophets in between are part of this larger cycle of prophets. And all of them together, really, the office of prophecy is to call the people to repentance, to encourage them and exhort them and appeal and beg them, really, to turn back to God. Turn back to God, otherwise... There will be consequences, as we saw with the destruction of the temple. So in a certain sense, you can say all the prophets are the herald of the Messiah. They foretell the coming of the Messiah. But John the Baptist, in a particular way, is the last of the cycle of prophets who comes as a new Elijah to prepare the people. And so the quote from Isaiah 40 here, uh, we read it in, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 3, but I have it here in your notes as well. A voice cries in the wilderness... 
See, punctuation is kind of messes this up a little bit. A voice cries, colon, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Or a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. You see, uh, hopefully my emphasis is uh, <laughs> making that clear. Both of them work, right? A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Or a voice cries in the wilderness. And John the Baptist fulfills both of them, both senses, right? So prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, Isaiah 40 is important because if you remember in a previous lecture or, or two, gosh, I forget right now, we talked a lot about the book of Consolation. Okay, actually, it was the last lecture, right? Because it has to do with Simeon, right? Remember, Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. And at the presentation in the temple, he's, fought, he's excited and exhilarated. He sees the Messiah who brings salvation and a light to the nations, right? If you remember that passage, that whole story. Well, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it begins here with the arrival of John the Baptist, who is the herald for the Messiah, for the Savior. So I wanted to make that connection for you as well. Everything is super duper connected here. John the Baptist and Jesus, I've said before, they're BFFs, <laughs> they're besties. Their ministry, John's ministry flows right into Jesus's ministry. And so John is in the wilderness now preparing the people for salvation, preparing the people to receive the consolation of God, the consolation that begins here in Isaiah chapter 40 and goes throughout the rest of the book of Isaiah. Now, and I also have in your notes the couple passages from Malachi. You'll remember these. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament. And these verses, I'm going to skip to Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6. These are the last verses of the entire prophetic um, genre, literary genre, uh, prophetic office of the Old Testament. And it says, Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and, ter and awesome or terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So when John the Baptist is showing up, looking like Elijah, having bad bad food like Elijah, I'm sure like Gordon Ramsay or people like him, these great cooks could even turn this nice locust with wild honey into a gourmet dish, but you know, very, very uh, austere way of life, he, the way he looks, the way he preaches, all right, the, what he eats, what he says, all of it, you know. John the, John the Baptist is a Nazarite. He hasn't shaved a day in his life. You might think he stinks. You might think he stinks, but actually, parenthetically, I'd like to point out that he doesn't because he's in the Jordan River baptizing everybody. So at least he's got that going for him. He's very, very clean. All right. So here he is in, in the wilderness fulfilling Isaiah and the book of Consolation, fulfilling Malachi. He's preparing the people for the coming of the Messiah. And that's Jesus Christ. And again, the Archangel Gabriel told Zechariah all of this. We looked at this a couple of lessons ago, right? Okay, so here he is in the Jordan River. And the Jordan River is significant. Geography is significant in scripture. Everything is, right? Hopefully you're convinced on that by now. People, places, things, events, locations, all of it is very important. So why is John at the Jordan River? Well, if you remember, Elijah is taken up into heaven at the Jordan River. That's significant. But it's if you go back even farther in the Old Testament, you're going to look at the end of the Exodus when the people cross into the promised land on dry land when the Jordan River parts. It's kind of like a little mini Exodus uh, story there. We talked about this back in Lesson 17. All right, it's, it's really awesome how the whole Exodus story begins and ends with the parting of water and the people walking through dry ground. So I've got this reference here in your notes, uh, Joshua chapter 3, verse 17. While all Israel were passing over on dry land or dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. 
until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan River. Now, this marks the conclusion of the first exodus. I really try to hammer that point home with you back in Lesson 17. Joshua completes the exodus. Moses left things kind of um, left a lot to be done because he died before he could get into the promised land. And so the conquest of the promised land under the leadership of Joshua is very important. The exodus is complete and God com it fulfills his promise of giving the people the land during this time. Now, so with all that going on, as time goes on, we look through Old Testament salvation history. The people had these cycles of naughtiness and turning back to God. You have the golden years of David and Solomon, and that's awesome. But then the people plunged into sin and idolatry, and then they were exiled. And in the period of the exile, if you remember, we covered a lot of different passages in the prophets where God said, I will bring the people back from where I have scattered them. Okay, it's a consistent theme. There would be a new exodus. Now, Hosea chapter 2, here in your notes I have for you, is a very, very important passage that's going to tip people off as to how God wants to bring his people back to him. And it says this, chapter 2, verse 14 and following, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. So this is God speaking of Israel. I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And in that day, says the Lord, you will call me my husband, and I will make for you a covenant on that day. This whole section, that's a little bit of editing work there, but the whole section talks about how God wants to bring Israel back into the wilderness to woo her, to allure her, to, um, to bring her back to him so that way Israel would call God my husband once more. This all happened at Mount Sinai. If you remember, God has this covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. God essentially weds Israel to himself. You got those two powerful images, the covenantal familial images of God with his people. The first is God is the father of Israel. Israel is God's firstborn son. That's very important. Then you have the other aspect that God is also the bridegroom, the divine bridegroom of his people. And so what Hosea is saying is that God wants to bring the people back into the wilderness to kind of light the, the flame alive a little bit. You know, a lot of people do this. If you've been married, if you've been married a while, you know, 20, 30 years, you've got kids and careers, you're tired. Maybe that the flame in the marriage is flickering a little bit. Maybe it's dead. And you're like, you know, hon, let's, let's go back to the place of our honeymoon and reignite that flame again. That's kind of what's going on right now, right? God says, let's go back to the wilderness. That's where we were first betrothed. That's where I wed you. Not necessarily the best place for a honeymoon, but with between God and his people, the wilderness is the place of covenantal union. And so when I when John the Baptist goes out to the wilderness to prepare the people through the baptism of the repentance of sins, he's fulfilling Hosea as well. He's preparing the people to receive their divine bridegroom. So this is why John calls himself the quote-unquote best man. He says the friend of the bridegroom. By the way, I have to, before I forget, I have to recommend another of Dr. Brant Petrie's books, Jesus the Bridegroom. He'll get into this in a lot more detail. There are other resources as well, but I just recommend anything that Dr. Petrie writes on scripture. It's just super accessible. And he'll get into this whole point that Jesus is the divine bridegroom. And John the Baptist understands this, and he is the best man preparing Israel as the bride for her husband. He says in John chapter 3, verse 29 and following, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now full. He must increase and I must decrease. So at this point, he's basically saying, I've done my role to prepare Israel as a bride to receive her heavenly divine bridegroom in Jesus Christ. 
So that's all to say, rapid fashion, typical of me, but <laughs> it's all to say that the Jordan River and the wilderness is really significant because now God is coming back as the divine bridegroom to wed his people, to allure her again in the wilderness. And John the Baptist is a new Elijah who and a the best man of the bridegroom in order to prepare the people. So I hope, you, I hope you're tracking with me on all of that. Uh, that. That is what John is doing and why he's doing it. 